Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to our viewers here in the United States and around the world. I'm Wolf Blitzer in the CNN Election Center. History is unfolding in America right now. We're following the Electoral College live as it prepares to confirm President-elect Joe Biden's win. In just moments, electors will cast ballots in Oregon and Montana. Next hour, California, with its 55 electoral votes, the biggest prize out there. That will carry President-elect Biden across the critical 270 threshold needed to win. At this moment, President-elect Biden has 229 electoral votes. President Trump has 181. More votes, by the way, are coming in right now. Just moments ago in Missouri, the electors confirmed their 10 electoral votes for President Trump and Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, 10 electoral votes in Missouri, in Missouri, going for Trump and Pence. In Texas, meanwhile, second biggest prize of the day, a major haul of 38 electoral votes. Electors just finished voting in Texas. Let's watch. It is my honor to report to you that we have finished tallying the votes for the presidential electors of of the state of Texas And the vote totals are as follows. All 38 votes for President Donald J. Trump for President of the United States of America. All right, they're clearly happy over there in that uh, room over in Texas. uh, 38 electoral votes uh, for Trump uh, and Pence. Uh, Take a look at that. Uh, You see the numbers up there, 229 for Biden so far, 229 for Trump. We're watching. We're standing by for more to come in, including the biggest prize of the day, California. Jake, over to you. Thanks, Wolf. Typically, Americans don't see the hard work of democracy playing out behind the scenes. But with President Trump refusing to admit defeat and accept reality, we are here following the Electoral College, along with our correspondent, CNN's Jeff Zeleny, covers president-elect Biden for us from Wilmington, Delaware. Jeff, uh, the president-elect is going to speak tonight. What can you tell us about what he's going to say? Well, Jake, President-elect Joe Biden is going to address the nation tonight after those Electoral College votes come in. And really a campaign that played out you know, through the rhythms of this pandemic certainly is ending on a day, one of the best days in terms of news for the vaccine. And I am told that Mr. Biden is going to address that this evening, but he's also going to address head on democracy and what we've been watching play out for the last six weeks or so and indeed today. Let's take a look at a couple excerpts we're just getting in uh, that he is planning to say tonight. He's going to say this. In America, politicians don't take power. The people grant it to them. The flame of democracy was lit in this nation a long time ago, and we now know that nothing, not even a pandemic or an abuse of power, can extinguish that 
flame. Then he'll go on to talk about the challenges ahead, saying this. There is urgent work in front of all of us, getting the pandemic under control to getting the nation vaccinated against this virus. So, Jake, clearly uh, we have seen President-elect Biden really, uh, you know, uh, operate with a cool temperature, you know, allowing this to play out over the last six weeks. But tonight he's going to address head on this assault on democracy that President Trump and indeed many Republicans in the uh, Congress and elsewhere have tried to do. We do not know if he will mention President Trump by name. He has not usually But he's delivered so many speeches now, first on November 7th, the evening when he accepted victory, and then that Thanksgiving address where he asked, you know, the nation for a patience and he, you know, felt their pain. So tonight I'm told that will be a combination of both, but also turning the page forward. Yes, there's reason for optimism because of the vaccine, but also so much work with the economy and yet the second stage of this COVID-19 fight. But tonight is a major moment for President-elect Biden. He'll be delivering a speech tonight from Wilmington. Jake. Yeah, the pandemic continues to get worse. We just passed 300,000 dead Americans in the last few minutes. Jeff Zeleny right. uh, in Wilmington, Delaware. Thank you so much. CNN's Jim Acosta is at the White House for us. And Jim, it seems as though President yeah. Trump um, is already looking past these electoral college results. He's trying to yeah. steal the election in a different way. <laughs> I suppose you could say that, Jake. That's right. Uh, the, these efforts to, to sabotage the election will continue over here at the White House. I talked to a White House advisor just a short time ago who said that the president is already looking past uh, the Electoral College uh, toward uh, January 6th. Uh, and that is when the official tallying of the electoral votes occurs in the House of Representatives. Uh, the Vice President Mike Pence will be presiding over that. And what we typically see uh, during that kind of ceremony, it's a ceremonial uh, event, uh, you'll see what we're expecting to see, according to this White House advisor, is Republican House members challenging those results. Now, uh, this advisor described uh, you know, this as a long shot uh, opportunity for the president to have these results thrown out. Uh, I would describe it more as no shot, uh, because even though these Republican House members may make some noise on the House floor, they need a, a senator to sign on to these efforts. It's unlikely that's going to happen. If it does happen, uh, the Democrats uh, control the House and they're not likely to go along with any of this. And so this is doomed to go nowhere. Uh, but Jake, the president is you know, seeing rays of hope, glimmers of hope, uh, both real and imagined, and he's grasping at those Uh, what he perceives to be glimmers of hope. Uh, We should also note, uh, Jake, we haven't seen the president, haven't heard from the president today. We did briefly see the White House press secretary, Kaylee McEnany. Uh, She was doing a a live shot on a different network earlier this afternoon. She walked past the cameras. I tried to ask her whether or not the president would accept uh, today's Electoral College results. She did not answer the question. Uh, She said she couldn't stop to talk to us because it was raining, even though she had uh, one of her aides next to her holding an umbrella over her head. Uh, Jake, as you know, having been over here at the White House, we do things in the rain all the time. Uh, so it's unclear why she wouldn't stop to take that question, uh, perhaps because she didn't want to answer it. But uh, one thing we should also note, Jake, of course, and you know this as well, we don't need the president to accept the results of the Electoral College. That would be nice, uh, but we're not seeing any signs that he's about to do that, Jake. Yeah, the Constitution does not require that the loser be a good loser uh, at all. Um, That's right. Jim Acosta, thanks so much. Wolf? All right, thank you. Electors uh, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts just allocated their 11 electoral votes. Watch this. There are 11 votes cast for Joseph R. Biden as President of the United States. There are 11 votes cast for Kamala D. Harris as Vice President of the United States. The committee is hereby discharged 
and thank for their service. With the assistance of the Secretary of the Commonwealth's Office. All right, with those 11 electoral votes in Massachusetts, uh, Biden now has 240, Trump has 229, you need 270 to be elected President of the United States. We're standing by. That's going to happen in the next hour when California and its 55 electoral votes are recorded. Uh, Jake, back to you. Thanks. Well, if I want to go to a special exclusive interview we have right now, this afternoon, retiring Republican Congressman Paul Mitchell of Michigan sent a letter to the chair of the Republican National Committee, fellow Michigander Ronna McDaniel, as well as to the House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, telling them that he is asking the clerk of the House to change his party identification from Republican to Independent. Congressman Mitchell has also said that he will be withdrawing from his engagement and association with the Republican Party at the national and state level, though he will still uh, endorse and help candidates with whom he shares principles. Joining us now is Congressman Mitchell of Michigan. Uh, Congressman, thank you so much uh, for joining us. You you have clearly uh, been disgusted, uh, based on your Twitter feed, for weeks with the unfounded voter fraud claims and conspiracy theories being pushed by the president. Was the final straw last week when a majority of your colleagues, House Republicans, signed on to that baseless Texas lawsuit that would have disenfranchised all of the voters of your home state of Michigan, as well as Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Georgia? Well, Jake, you know, I believe that any candidate has the ability to request a recount to go through legal processes if they think there's some basis that uh, the the vote's not reasonable or some founded conspiracy concerns or concern about fraud. But we've gone through the process. And as I saw that that amicus brief, as well as the discussions over the weekend, the national media, it became clear to me that I could no longer be associated with the Republican Party, that leadership does not stand up and say the process, the election is over. It's over today. And then I saw the president tweet out that it's not over till January 20. Somehow he's going to continue to combat this. Uh, The people have voted. As I said in my letter, I voted for Donald Trump. I supported the administration policies 95, 96 percent of the time the last two terms. I've been active in the national state party. But this party has to stand up for democracy first, for our Constitution first, and not political considerations, not protect a candidate not simply for raw political power. And that's what I feel is going on, and I've had enough. And for people who, who, who don't know, um, as you know, you, you've been with uh, President Trump 95 96% of the time. You voted for him in 2016, 2020. You're a member of the conservative Republican study group uh, in the House. Uh, you whipped votes for Republicans in Congress. You raised yes. money uh, for Republican candidates. And now you're going to be an independent, because your letter, as I noticed, it CCs the clerk of the House, um, yes. Tell us what it feels like in this moment and, and how are you going to respond to critics who who attack you as I mean, you, you know, they're going to call you a rhino, even though obviously you're a very conservative <laughs> Republican. Well, the definition of rhino has changed in the last uh, couple of years, hasn't it, Jake? Uh, rhino now is if you don't follow whatever uh, the president decides is the, the theme of the day or the week or the month. Uh, I'm a conservative. I'm a fiscal conservative. I believe in small government. Uh, how am I going to respond? Frankly, I'm, I'm not. I'm going to stand on my principles. And yes, I will take abuse from uh, both the far left and the far right. In my opinion, the, far, the extremes of both parties are dragging their parties and this country off a cliff. The majority of Americans are in the middle. The majority of Americans want solutions to problems, want, want us to address them and not see who can have a political win, not see who can grab political power for all it's worth and actually do something to solve a problem for the American people. And frankly, we haven't done enough of that. They haven't done enough the last two terms. 
And this election simply confirms for me that it's all about part about power first. And that, frankly, is disgusting and demoralizing. The, the Texas lawsuit is is I mean, it's nuts. I mean, anybody who reads it uh, understands that it's not based in fact. It's not based in evidence. It's just based in ignorance and conspiracy theories. One hundred twenty six of your colleagues, House Republicans, signed their names onto it. Um, and I'm wondering, do you think they actually believe this insanity or is there some other reason why a majority of House Republicans actually support disenfranchising Americans in four states uh, for nothing other than, as you put it, a power grab? Well, one of them is my state, as you know, Michigan. And uh, I, I've not spoken with uh, hardly any of them. I've spoken with one other member who believes there are concerns with what some states or others have done. But uh, I don't I didn't believe the brief was was appropriate or valid. I, I believe the lawsuit, it was I'm trying to think of a polite term for it. You don't have uh, to be polite. It, 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 it was ridiculous. What it says is if Texas thinks that other states have administered their election laws in a manner they don't like, that they can overturn those votes, that they can overturn those states. We're a republic of states. States have the ability to determine their election laws. And in fact, in the, in the concern about Michigan, a federal judge ruled that the secretary of state could send out absentee ballot applications. They did not send out ballots. They sent out applications to everyone if they wanted to get a ballot given the COVID-19. There's nothing in the law that precludes that. However, apparently Texas didn't like it. Um, okay. I, I wasn't aware that we had to respond to Texas whenever we had an election in Michigan or in the other state. So I, I just think it's one more desperate attempt. You'll note that they ch- chose those states, whereas Montana and other states did similar things to what Michigan and others did. But in North Carolina did. I think North Carolina allowed eight or nine days late ballots uh, and they counted. They didn't challenge North Carolina, but they did challenge Michigan and other states. It's it's just blatantly an effort to say we will do anything we can to overturn the election that we lost. And I say in my letter, I've told you, Jake, anybody that gets into, into politics has to be willing to accept winning and losing with some level of grace and maturity. I've done both. Losing is brutal. It, it's it's personal. It hurts. But if you're not willing to accept that, you should not be in political leadership. You should not be. This country needs it desperately. And uh, unfortunately, we haven't seen it demonstrated as as much as we should. We've seen these local election officials, um, including the Speaker of the State House in Michigan today, putting out a letter saying that if he were to challenge the electors going to Joe Biden, that would set a horrible precedent and it would wreak havoc. Uh, We saw a guy on your canvassing board. Uh, Aaron Van Langeveld, I believe is his name, uh, showing more courage and character than House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and House Minority Whip Steve Scalise combined. Why? They don't actually believe this crackpot stuff, do they? It's just they're afraid of Donald Trump? I haven't spoken with them, so I can't tell you what rationale that they have for supporting this other than uh, trying to support the president. I can tell you that I I appreciated uh, Speaker Chatfield, the state House Speaker, speaking up today. And he did so in response to a state legislator that, when asked about, they had some plans in Lansing for continuing protests. They were asked, well, you know, people could feel safe, correct? He said, well, he couldn't guarantee that. We had a state House member talk about the fact that violence may occur today. In fact, we had a uh, credible threats of violence, as determined by the Michigan State Police, against electors. 
the head of security shut down all the state office buildings around there. When you can't conduct an, ele- an election without threats of violence, we, we become a third world nation. What are we, Venezuela? Uh, I mean, it's ridiculous. And to have a elected official, in this case, a state house member, say, well, he wasn't really sure if there'd be violence or not. You ought to stand up and say there should be no violence. We do not hold elections in which there's violence. We, this country's come too far. And that's why I'm troubled. And that's why I ultimately decided to lead the party because our leadership needs to stand up and say, no, we have a process, we respect it, and we respect the vote of the American people. And when they have voted, we move on to govern the nation and not play politics. What is the future of the Republican Party, do you think? Because we see all these House Republicans siding with these crazy theories. There are now adherents to QAnon who are in the House of Representatives, in the Republican Party. Um, Obviously, uh, these are not the values that you stand for. We should just note again, for people who don't know, you criticized President Trump for his response to Charlottesville. You criticized President Trump when he launched that racist attack against the four congresswomen of color, the Democratic women, uh, three of whom were born in the U.S., one was a naturalized citizen. And when he told them to go back where they came from, you called that out. But again, you're a conservative Republican, like in your heart, and you're a conservative. If there's not a place for you in the Republican Party, where are people like you supposed to go? I'm not sure what I do next, but let me make a comment about the send them back because it, it still enrages me. And my youngest son, Jake, uh, we adopted him from Russia eight years ago. And uh, anybody that would tell me he's not a citizen, he doesn't have the same rights that you or I have, I had to tell you I'd knock them on their ass. That's, that's, that's not what our nation stands for. So I'm going to work with candidates that uh, reflect principles that I think uh, our country should stand for. I will those that respect other people, be they immigrants, new citizens, born here or not, and because I think uh, our country is better than what we've seen. And yes, I did speak out about a number of those things and uh, took, took a fair amount of heat about those. Uh, but I think that's the responsibility of anybody that's elected to leadership or is a leader. I did that, and uh, that's why I'm ending my, uh, my, my tenure in, in Congress by speaking out in this case, that our leadership owes us better than what we're seeing right now. And until I see that, I'm going to be an independent because it's simply unacceptable. Uh, one last question for you, sir. What do you think um, President Trump after today, what do you think President Trump should do after today, today's vote or, is over, the Electoral College? Is it time for him to concede is it time for the House Minority Leader and the Senate Majority Leader to acknowledge that President-elect Biden won? Well, uh, quite some time ago, as you're aware, I, I indicated the president should uh, acknowledge President-elect Biden, invite him to the White House, be in the, first, the future First Lady, although they've been there before, clearly, and begin uh, their personal interaction to transition the government. That's the responsible thing to do. That's the thing our country is so dependent upon. It's time. Uh, the, the Electoral College will vote today. They will, it will vote to make uh, formally, finally, uh, Vice President Biden as the president-elect. And as I indicated, I voted for President Trump. I had concerns about the policies the Democrats put forward. But I can accept the reality is we'll have a new president on January 20th, and we will move forward in, in governing this nation. And uh, 
I won't be in Congress, but uh, I'll try to speak out as much as I can about what I believe this nation needs to be. Thank you for your integrity, sir. We appreciate it. And I know you're, you're going to be able to look your son in the eyes and tell him about how you conducted yourself as a congressman. So we appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. Take care. All right. Talk to you soon. Let's chat about that because, I mean, that's a very conservative Republican. Anybody who's familiar with Congressman Mitchell's uh, voting record, he, he is a very conservative Republican. He has been there for President Trump mm-hmm. all along the way, except for, obviously, these moments of real indecency and obviously, this deranged campaign to undermine democracy was too much for him. He leaves the party. That was remarkable, Jake. And it was remarkable in its normalcy. He sounded like a normal person who goes into politics to be a public servant, to fight for the philosophical uh, ideals that he believes in. And in this case, it is conservatism, um, you know, fiscally and socially. And the fact is, he is leaving Congress. He's retiring on his own volition. Uh, But he also uh, is leaving a party. And he didn't say it this way, but what he described in that interview was a party that left him, not him leaving the party. Uh, A party that has now pledged its fealty to a man by the name of Donald J. Trump, not a party that is focused primarily on all the things that he believes in, but also it included in the philosophy, the conservative philosophy he believes in, the fundamentals of democracy. I mean, it's a shame that you can't be a Republican these days and also believe in democracy, that people's <laughs> votes should count and that they shouldn't be overturned by state legislatures or by the Supreme Court or what have you. Um, but it's a reflection of the fact that this has been a party for several years now that hasn't really talked about uh, about ideology in the classic sense, small government, about, uh, you know, even uh, even so- social conservatism, whether you are, are you know, anti-abortion or what have you. Um, th- that's the reality of the, the party. And I think it is telling that he is leaving Congress because he knows that there is no future for uh, a Republican uh, who doesn't want to toe the line of Donald Trump. And the problem with the the sort of church of Donald Trump in the Republican Party right now is that it's incredibly unpredictable. It's hard to know what else you will be asked to endorse next. Uh, one day it is the travel ban, the so-called Muslim ban. The next day it is uh, these election shenanigans. The next day it is, uh, you know, telling these congresswomen who were American citizens to go back to where they came from. It is incredibly unpredictable because there's no principle behind it. It's all about uh, what's in the president's gut, what he wants to do, what works best for him. And for someone like Congressman Mitchell, uh, there's no room left. He has, unfortunately, it seems, no choice to leave. But it it does make me wonder. um, Well, I I, I shouldn't say it does make me wonder. We know that there are other Republicans in Congress who are not leaving, who believe the same thing and are not speaking up about it uh, because it's it's not allowed. And many of them will remain silent if they want to keep their seats. uh, But the folks who are speaking up, many of those people uh, are doing so because they no longer have to go back to the Trump electorate and ask for two more years. There are only three Republicans in the House I can think of that have staked out this principal position on the election. Uh, Congressman uh, Denver Riggleman, who's, uh, who was retired uh, by his constituents uh, and is leaving Congress, for, by the way, presiding over a same-sex wedding. 
uh, Congressman Mitchell, who is about to no longer be a Republican, uh, and Adam Kinzinger is the only one who was reelected. That's it. One House Republican with principles, at least vocally. Uh, Remarkable. Uh, Anderson? Jake, uh, appreciate it. Thanks very much. Fascinating interview. Uh, I want to bring in our, our team here, uh, talk about uh, what uh, what we have just heard and also what we have been witnessing now uh, throughout the day. Uh, Rick Santorum, Van Jones, David Axelrod, Gloria Borger. Uh, Gloria, what do you make of what Congressman Mitchell was saying? Well, I thought it was a stunning interview, and I'm actually sorry that he's decided uh, not to stay in Congress because I think he would have an awful lot to contribute were he to, he to remain there. But what he was talking about was a Republican Party that has chosen Donald Trump over democracy. And he couldn't uh, take that or stand with it anymore. And when he asked Jake the question, what are we, Venezuela? You have to think, that's actually not funny. That is a real question that you have to be asking of, of these Republicans. And I think the next question we have to start asking is, what happens after Donald Trump? Uh, if he remains on the scene or kind of on the scene or still holds these Republicans uh, in thrall and they feel beholden to him in some way, what will they give up next? What will they do next? And how can the Republican Party ever return to what it was before Donald Trump, which I always thought was a Republican Party that had some sense of principles and ideas and beliefs, which, as Abby was saying before, they've all abandoned in the age of Donald Trump. And yeah. uh, they don't care what they used to care about. They just care about one person, and that's Senator, him. Senator Santorum, the, the night of the election when, when Joe Biden uh, won, you said that the president was going to put the country before himself and at a certain point would put, would put the country before himself. When's he going to do that? Because he's not doing that yet. Yeah, I would agree with you that <clears throat> that he hasn't uh, come to that moment where he feels comfortable in conceding, which I think is 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 wrong. I mean, obviously, we're going to see here, and, and I, I sort of disagree with the with the tone that uh, that that the panel and and Gloria said. Look, uh, that the Republican Party has somehow abandoned democracy. What's going on right now? I mean, they're counting the votes, and Joe Biden's going to win, and they're counting votes in uh, that that you know I don't know of any Republican legislature, and there were several of them, they could have gone forward and, and, and put forth a different slate. None of them did. Uh, they stood up to Donald Trump, because I can tell you, because I talked to a bunch of them from Pennsylvania, there was a lot of pressure on them to do it. They didn't. So the idea that, that, you know, that supporting Donald Trump in his uh, effort to, to get to the bottom of fraud, which I think a lot of Republicans absolutely feel there was a lot of, uh, a lot of bad behavior at this election, but that, that is not the same as disrupting democracy. Democracy is working. It's working. It's working today. I don't see any Republican blocking that democracy from working. So I think the narrative that somehow Republicans have abandoned all their sanity and have thrown in with Donald Trump just doesn't fit with the facts of what we're seeing happening today. Can I just say that there are those 126 Republicans in the House at the national level who supported that Texas lawsuit, which we all know was gibberish, which was and gibberish. They lost. But I will agree with you that at the local and state level, there have been some 
very courageous Republican officials. But at the national level, not so much. Supporting yeah, supporting yeah. a lawsuit is not the same as, as this. You're you're allowed to. You, there are lots of lawsuits that are filed that are frivolous or bad, well, and people are allowed to get on them. But that doesn't mean that you're disrupting democracy. That's actually part of democracy. Well, if you know, David, if you know a lawsuit is frivolous and these are supposedly intelligent people uh, and if they watch any responsible coverage of this, they will be told these lawsuits are, are frivolous because and the allegations are baseless. And they're in fact, some of these lawsuits are laughable. There's been 50 lo- cases brought. None of them have gone through. The Supreme Court now twice ha- has just totally eliminated this. The idea, David, I mean, do, are, is this yeah, just well, the look, normal I mean, course I, of events? No, uh, let's be clear. On Saturday night, the president of the United States went on national television and said his successor would be an illegitimate president based on fraudulent charges of fraud. The fact is that court after court after court have tossed out these charges for lack of evidence. A lot of the uh, things that were tossed out of court were included in that complaint uh, in Texas. They have no foundation. And the president of the United States is about delegitimating his successor. And it's stunning to me that 70 to 80 percent of Republicans now uh, accept the fact that somehow this elect that this election was riddled with fraud. There simply is no evidence. If there were evidence, then the president's team would have brought it to court and they could not. So, you know, I I think the president is right now about the business of trying to delegitimate his successor. And my problem is that once you start undermining these norms, it's very hard to repair them. It's very hard to restore them. And And, I think those 126 were a party to that. And by the way, and and, uh, Van, I mean, uh, you know, Rick is saying that, that, you know, he seems to believe that there was, uh, you know, a widespread or, or a lot of shenanigans going on and that needs to be uncovered. If the, 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 what the president is doing, Van, is raising money off this. It's not just he's uh, subverting democracy. It's not just that he is saying things which are not true and getting people to believe it. He's also making huge amounts of money for it. Uh, he, he certainly is. And, and I, I think this is a very... A, a dangerous conversation we're beginning to have. I think we need to be very clear with the public. Uh, the, our institutions are, are holding up, they're bearing up, but they're bearing up under unprecedented strain. Unprecedented strain. Uh, yes, we have our courts and they're functioning, but when before have you ever had to have security guards for electors in America? When has that ever happened? This is unbelievable that the president of the United States is saying things and doing things that has American citizens willing to take up arms against other Americans carrying out this democracy that Santorum's talking about. That can't be dodged. That can't be ducked. This is serious stuff. And I can't tell you from my point of view, when you think about uh, the, the, the minority leader of the House, uh, Kevin McCarthy, somebody who has often, frankly, uh, done a great job. He's, he's stood up for, on, on different causes. He sometimes reached across the aisle. They, uh, Kevin McCarthy would sign on to uh, some, some lawsuit that was pulled out of a crackerjack box full of just BS and, and be proud yeah. to be a part of this. This is not what you're supposed to be doing as, the, as the, one of the main leaders of our country. So this is, yeah, you can say, yeah, democracy is working, but it's working under incredible strain that should not be there. Yeah. Um, President-elect, uh, President-elect Biden 
and uh, President, uh, Vice President-elect uh, Kamala Harris uh, will soon cross the critical threshold to uh, confirm uh, his uh, and her uh, electoral uh, college victory. We're following that live. Stay with us. Welcome back to the CNN special event, the Electoral College Votes. Moments ago, electors in Montana allocated their three electoral votes. Listen to this. Chairman Cheetah, will you please visually witness from the tally sheets the fact that the 2020 Montana presidential electors have cast three votes for Donald J. Trump, the Republicans' candidate for president of the United States of America, and have cast three votes for Michael R. Pence, the Republican Party's candidate for Vice President of the United States of America. All right, so there you see it's now 240 electoral votes for Biden, 232 for Trump. Uh, Still, what, two or three states left to go, including California, with its 55 electoral votes. That's in the next hour. That will clearly put Biden over the top. Dana? Well, Nebraska is one of only two states that splits its electoral votes. Four of Nebraska's votes went to President Trump. One went to President-elect Biden. And that Biden vote was cast by Precious McKesson, who joins me now. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, First, take us inside the room. Uh, What was it like to cast this vote? Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, it was so monumental um, to be in a room with so many of my close friends and families and supporters. And when I walked in the room, they started cheering and it just felt so good. So I'm just really it was it was an honor to do it today. So you obviously cast a vote for uh, Joe Biden for president and for Kamala Harris for vice president. What did it, did it mean to you to vote for the first woman and the first black vice president? Oh, man. Um, I became really emotional after um, after I check did my check mark and after um, the secretary of state announced who I voted for. It meant so much. It meant so much for many women who every day fight this good fight to make sure that our democracy is not um, taken for granted. And so to be able to cast that vote for Kamala Harris today, it just meant it meant the world to me. And I'm just so happy that I was able to do that, especially here in Nebraska. And we're just really excited to see what the future holds. And we can't wait till January 20th when they're sworn in. And we actually have the moment uh, that you were talking about. We can watch it and talk to you on the other side. Precious McKesson from the 2nd Congressional District has cast her ballot for Joseph R. Biden. And Precious, I'm going to turn it over to Abby Phillip now. This is Abby Phillip here. You are also making history yourself today. You're the first woman, the first woman of color in your state to cast an electoral college vote for a Democrat. How does that feel today? How did you get to this point? Well, I mean, if you would have told me two years ago when I started this journey that I would be in this seat, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, But to get here, it was a lot of hard work and dedication. And not just me, it was me and my counterparts. I mean, we worked really hard for this vote and to make sure that we were able to secure CD2 for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So, you know, I, I just, again, say... It wasn't just me who did this, um, but it was a lot of people behind the scenes. And the fact that I was nominated and elected to be able to cast that vote, 
it was just even sweeter, you know, to come out and do that and then to make history. And you talked about uh, how it felt. Um, We're all getting a civics lesson. A lot of people have not seen this, have not really understood or maybe not even thought much about how an elector is uh, is elected. How did that happen? I mean, I know you were you were you said you worked very hard for the Biden Harris campaign. How did it come to be that you were the one elector in Nebraska who could cast this vote today for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? Well, prior to me going to work for the Biden-Harris campaign, um, I do sit as the Black Caucus chair as well as a state legislative um, district holder. So before um, before we do the um, before I went to work for them, we have the state convention and you have to go in front of your congressional district and you have to actually ask for them to nominate you and to vote for you. And so I went in front of my peers and um, told them that I felt this would be the time for um, a number, number one, a woman of color and a woman to cast that vote. And then they voted for me to be able to be the one to um, represent Congressional District 2. So this is such a big moment for you. And uh, it's also coming at a time when the COVID-19 pandemic is, you know, raging all across the country. But you've been really careful and you've been taking a lot of precautions. You didn't want to get sick so that someone else might take have a chance of taking your place today, right? What, what were some of the things that you tried to do to make sure that you could be here in that room for that moment? Um, I just limited um, the contact that I had with a lot of people, made sure that if I did do something, it was, you know, limiting the amount of people. Um, a lot of drive up, um, a lot of the stores got to know me through the drive up and then just making sure that my girls, you know, understood that, we you know, we couldn't do our normal things of going into the store and just being really careful and just taking extra precautions. And then, you know, just really making sure they understood the significance behind it, that, you know, we just didn't want to go out in public as much. And so it was hard, but we made it through. And I was just really proud to, you know, to be here today to be able to be the one to cast the vote. Well, congratulations to you for the history that you made today uh, and for being able to cast that vote for uh, your preferred candidate. Uh, Over to you, Wolf. All right. Thanks very much, Abby. Take a look at this. 240, 232 right now. Biden has 240 electoral votes. Trump has 232. 47 states in the District of Columbia have already cast their votes as fully expected. Three states left. Oregon, California, and Hawaii, all of them will go to Biden. That will be 66 additional electoral votes for Biden. He will wind up with 306 uh, and Trump 232. That will happen in the next hour. We're following that very closely on this historic day. Also, we're following the coronavirus vaccines now going out in the United States. Unfortunately, as the death toll here in the U.S. has just crossed 300,000. Just a little while ago, the United States marked a horrific milestone. More than 300,000 people in the United States have died from the coronavirus since it erupted back in January. And it comes on the same day that the first coronavirus vaccinations are happening here in the United States. CNN's Sarah Murray is joining us right now. She's over at the George Washington University Hospital. Uh, You saw some of the vaccinations unfold happen today. Sarah, walk us through what you saw. 
That's right, Wolf. You know, we've been here essentially since the, the vaccines were delivered this morning. They were put in that ultra-cold freezer. They were dethawed, and then they were put into the first five arms of healthcare workers here. It was a combination of folks from the emergency department, the anesthesiology department, from labor and delivery. And they were kind enough to come out and talk to us after they received their vaccinations. And look, they said they didn't feel any side effects. They were very happy to be at the front of the line because they wanted to be role models. They wanted to set an example to their community. And that, of course, means other healthcare workers. It means other people in the Washington area. It means their own family and friends. And it means everyone who's watching across the globe. I spoke to one nurse, Barbara Nicewander, who talked a little bit about what this will mean for her patients going forward. I think we have a little bit of sound from that conversation. As an emergency room nurse, we're here to um, help with the public health and uh, to take care of the patients that present to the emergency room. And and they depend on us to uh, provide good care. And uh, when a patient will ask me, well, should I get the vaccine? I'll be able to say, yes, I was there and I got it first. And, um, and uh, you know, I remained healthy. And you didn't feel any side effects, nothing like that? No, no worries? No, absolutely no side effects. I was surprised that it was very little. You couldn't feel the medicine going into your arm. Just like a normal, just a normal kind of shot, anything? That's I mean, it. even yes. with the flu vaccine, it normally is sore. Yeah, no, 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 no side effects at all. We did have to wait 15 minutes after we got the injection to see if there were any side effects. And for me, there wasn't any. So what are you going to tell patients going forward? Uh, well, first of all, you know, I'll be, it'll be great to be able to tell patients that I got the vaccine, that I'm on the road to making sure that I'm safe and that, you know, when we all get it, we'll be able to change our lifestyle. But that, that's really going to take a long time, that we still have to wear our masks, that we still have to wash our hands, and that, uh, and that we should be, con you know, making sure that our... Uh, the people that we care about realize that we have to, you know, limit how we interact and continue to have social distancing. Has it started to break? Now, Barbara was the first healthcare worker here at GW to receive that vaccine. And Wolf, one of the things that came through as we were talking to these healthcare workers is, of course, they're excited to begin to get some protection from this deadly virus for themselves. They're excited to get the second dose, but mostly they're excited to be able to share this with their patients in the coming months. Sarah Marie uh, over at GW Hospital, thank you very much. Let's bring in our chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, uh, you know, it's almost like a split-screen moment. 300,000 Americans have died from coronavirus over these months. But at the same time, vaccines have started here in the U.S. And within the next few weeks and months, millions of Americans will be able to get vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, Wolf, it's it's um, it's uh, it's tough in that regard. I mean, it feels like whiplash. You want to uh, the good the news is good about vaccines, and you certainly want to celebrate that, um, but also fully acknowledge that it's going to take time to to roll out the vaccines, as Sarah Murray was just talking about, and it's going to take even longer for it to have you know this demonstrable impact on on changing the trajectory of the virus. I think a lot of people understand that by now. It just takes a while for these things to work, things that work more quickly like masks, things that are maybe more boring to talk about, um, uh, you know, could, could make a big impact now. So that's, that's, that's sort of the, the challenge. 300,000 people have died. Florida just passed 20,000. Now, Wolf, 20,000 in four states in the United States, Florida, Texas, California, and New York, all have had 20,000 or more people die in these states, more than many, most countries, I would say, around the world. 
So, you know, we, we are by far, um, sadly, leading the world in terms of deaths and overall numbers of cases and hospitalizations and all that. It is still an addressable problem even before the vaccine uh, you know, uh, is, is distributed widely, Wolf, and we got to remember that. And even if you get vaccinated, you still have to be careful. You should still continue wearing a mask. Is that right, Sanjay? Yeah. So, you know, the thing about the vaccine, what we can say and, and what they were really studying is that does it prevent the disease, COVID-19? Does it prevent the symptoms of this disease? And, um, you know, as you know, Wolf, the, the data is pretty remarkable with this Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, 90 percent plus, close to 95 percent protection uh, with this vaccine. Um, but it, 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 we're not, it's not clear, I should say at this point, uh, that it actually prevents people from still carrying the virus and potentially still transmitting the virus. So think about that. You could be vaccinated, which is really important, and, and be fairly confident that you're not going to get sick, but you still don't want to potentially pass this virus on to others. As you get more and more people vaccinated, that'll obviously become less and less of a concern. But until we get to that point, um, it's good that you got vaccinated, but you still want to protect those around you. You certainly do. All right, Sanjay, we're going to get back to you. We're going to continue to follow two major historic stories that we're following right now. Uh, the uh, vaccines which have started in the United States, also the Electoral College. Uh, President-elect Joe Biden is closer and closer to officially reaching 270 electoral votes. We're going to bring you that. Stand by. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 